Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Andrea. Hello, Dean. How are you today? I'm great. For some reason, your voice has suddenly become a lot clearer in, in my wow. mind. Well, I've just had a voice coach, you see. Ah. It really improved me. I, I'm feeling positive about myself and obviously my voice. So thank you for noticing that change. Right, it's, been it's all right. Um, so to jump right into some Doctor Who if you don't know every week we talk about an episode of Doctor Who um, starting at the very start and as this is episode four we are on episode four we're in Aliens of London great episode with Slovenes and Farts yeah that's basically it summarized we should we should go home now yeah yeah Aliens and Farts that sounds like my normal weekend two of my favorite things don't know what that means I don't really want to know what that means (laughs) I feel we should move on. Do you? Quick, quickly, quickly. Go on, go on. So, as we do every week, Dean and I shall start this podcast by giving our own summary of the episode in only one sentence, obviously, hence why it's called the sentence summary section. And Dean, would you like to go first? Of course. Just like to say you did a great job. Um, I think this is our longest sentence yet, my one is. Are you ready Ooh, for wow. it? Yeah, go for it. People party during a global crisis while a fat prime minister messes up the country, ignores experts and takes advice from people he shouldn't. During said crisis, I watch an episode of Doctor Who. That hits home. That's too soon. (laughs) Too soon. I feel like I have gone down the same sort of route, which I feel demonstrates the way in which everyone thinks nowadays just yeah it's a sad time but anyway this is my summary there's farts pigs and big green monsters as doctor who accurately depicts the british government in the face of a global emergency that's good yeah very similar mine was just a bit more scathing i think it's just a bit better let's be honest i don't mind grilling myself in front of our one listener okay so i i believe you have some general information for us that you'd like to share Lucky you, because I do. So this episode was written by the man, the myth, the legend, Russell T. Davis, the showrunner. Um, and it was directed by Keith Boak, who's already directed one episode this season. That's Rose, and he d- um, directs one more, which is World War Three. So he's directing all the ones that were filmed at the same time, because these three were filmed at the same time. And it was broadcast on the 16th of April, 2005, and it's part one of a two-part story. As I ask you every week, um, any ideas what you were doing on the um, April 16th, 2005? Well, I feel we should just cut to the real reason you're asking me this. And I I, I put to you this, who died on this day? Well, see, I've got the list here, but I don't actually know any of them. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah, I don't have any good stories. I'll I'll think of one. Um, Yeah, nothing. I'll keep looking while you tell me some fun facts, okay? I'm, I'm going to find something out. Okay, so for our listeners, I have three fun facts regarding this episode. Maybe fun. So the first one, maybe fun. Of course, you will be the judge of that. As always, do you like to heckle me? So <laughs> first fun fact, the production team actually intended for the murdered PM to be Tony Blair. But when they recruited a Blair impersonator to play the dead body, they dropped the idea of showing the body due to the poor resemblance... They also dropped the body out of a cupboard. That's very true. I often wonder, has that actually happened to Tony Blair? Has he ever been locked up in a cupboard? 
Downing Street? I would if I was there. Yeah, I would. Just, I'd just scare some of my secretaries to jump out of a cupboard if I was PM. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, definitely. The country would be in a pretty bad position if I was PM, but probably not as bad <laughs> as this, admittedly. Would you say that was a fun fact, Dean? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, I knew it already, but I suppose I'll give it to you. Damn it. Anyway, my second fun fact is that this episode is the last one to include the acronym United Nations Intelligence Task Force, the unit, as it was later changed to the Unified Intelligence Task Force, following complaints from the real United Nations. Who knew they cared so much about Doctor Who, huh? Wow. Sorry, I've been really looking into this and I can't find anything. I checked the 15th of April and I checked the 17th of April. The most interesting thing I can find is that um, the British Television Awards were hosted on the 17th of April. That's the most interesting thing you could find? You literally. I'm gonna Nothing look happened back I, in 2005 I, I around there. Mm. April, needs to get, April 2005 needs to get its act together. So anyway... Yeah. anyway. I feel we shall go on to my last fun fact now. And it was that the filming, well, I'm not sure how fun this actually is reading it, rereading it, but um, the filming of the crash spaceship was delayed due to anti-terrorism officers who were suspicious of the filming's proximity to Downing Street. <laughs> I feel like they were just expecting, you know, Slytherin to come in. That, uh, no, I'll give you that. That is pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty good. So I believe we should now trot along to a trivia. I suppose. In this section, Andrew and I wanted a fun way to present trivia to each other and the audience. So we're taking it in turns to present each other with a quiz. And I hope um, Andrew's prepared a quiz this week. If not, just pretend this bit never happened. Luckily for everyone, I have. Oh, good. Otherwise, we'd be a section down this week, and no one wants that. I mean, our loyal listeners at home. They're counting distraught. them through, tallying them up. Exactly. They've probably got a Andrew and Dean trivia poster on their wall at home. I mean, if they haven't, stop listening to us. You're a fake fan. Us standing back to back, each holding a sonic screwdriver. We need to make that happen. You've got tenants, I've got Smiths. Oh. I can see it now. I feel we're getting sidetracked, though. I have some trivia for you. And this time there's five questions because I was feeling quite excited. I do enjoy this section. So whenever you're ready, whenever you... Question number one, now. Okay, wow. I like your determination. So, question one. The Sathene were inspired by a family depicted in a Doctor Who novel. Who wrote the novel? I did. Final answer. Lock You're not on my options, actually. I don't oh, know okay. why. Oh, that's weird. Anyway, A, Toby Whithouse. Yes. B, Neil Gaiman. C, Paul Cornell. D, Gareth Roberts. Or E, Stephen Moffat. Oh, interesting. Five options, five questions. I'm really living the high life. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it to you today. Okay, um, I feel like. I've heard this fact before, but I can't remember it exactly. Okay. I'm going to go, because I know he's also directed a couple of episodes. I'm going to say Neil Gaiman. I'm afraid you are 
wrong, my friend. It was actually Paul Cornell, and the novel was the original story of human nature, which obviously was later um, transformed into a two-parter for series three, The Family of Blood slash Human Nature. Have you ever heard Neil Gaiman falling out with Doctor Who? I have not. Was this a very public argument? Because he wrote two episodes, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He wrote The Doctor's Wife and Nightmare and Silver. He said after writing it, he was left with a bad taste in his mouth. Clearly, he was doing an episode with one of the Slovene. Ha ha, ha ha, vinegar, ha ha, so funny, I'm farts as well, yeah, I'm I'm gonna move on. So, second question, in this episode, Unit appear for the Revival Era debut, which of the following classic Who episodes does not feature Unit? Yeah, this this will be hard for you, because I'm not sure, have you ever watched any classic Who episodes? I, I haven't watched it in any depth I don't think well good luck A the invasion B terror of the autons C day of the daleks D the five doctors or E the curse of Fenric can I, can I if we Just are who wants to be a millionaire can I phone a friend only like, if you're really, really quick, quick. And only if they like Doctor Who. Go. Okay, I'll be really quick. Oh my god, he's actually getting his phone out. No, no, I forbid this. Sorry, this person no. can't answer at the moment. So please leave a message <laughs> after the tone. I tried to phone Andrea. Why is, have you turned your phone off? Oh, I'm sorry. I feel my phone might be off. I'm a bit busy oh, okay. at the moment. Okay, can I get 50-50 then? Uh... No, because that would be 2.5 answers. I, I feel like you're just going to have to brave it. D because my name starts with a D. So you're going to go with the five mm-hmm. doctors. And that is unfortunately incorrect again. You're not I'm doing very well I'm going to come to your house this. and hurt you. Again? That took a sinister tone. Actually, it wasn't D. It was E, the Curse of Fenric, which was a Sylvester McCoy episode from 1989, the year that it was unfortunately cancelled. Do you know what you were doing in the year 1989? Well, I would have been in the form of my two parents, and they were both 14, if I've done my maths correctly. So probably in some boring school lessons, hitting puberty as two separate people. Do you, do you know what the Berlin Wall was doing? Oh, uh, it was collapsing, I believe, being torn down. What a great time. It died. Sorry, I needed to get one this episode, okay? It's a some death of some sort. I mean, you, you accuse me of having an obsession with death. Hey, last week I was celebrating a lovely marriage between Prince Charles and um, Camilla. Yes, what a lovely marriage that was for us all. <laughs> And just going back to that question, the invasion, the Patrick Troughton Cybermen episode, was actually the first episode to feature Unit in it. So that was back in the 60s. So Unit are quite old and very much a vital part of Doctor Who, both classic and new. Yes. Are you ready to go on to question three? Wow, I, I, I love your... Wow, you're so on it today. Well, actually, no, you're failing miserably. But I like your determination, your motivation. It's very good. You're just giving me a hard question. <laughs> Maniacally laughs. So, 
Which of the following is not the title of an IMDb review for Ooh, this episode? This, this is, is my personal favourite question. Thank you. A. Farting aliens. B. Didn't age well. C. Toilet trouble. Mm. D. Vinegar does the same to me. Or E. We should get the Slovene to do Brexit. Okay, all of them kind of feel like something you would write. I've got, I've got a feeling that you would. Thank you. Include a fart one because that's what we talk about. But maybe mm. you put the vinegar one because the vinegar actually isn't mentioned. Maybe. Who knows? Well, I do, but who else knows? Um. Gonna have well, to press you, you for an answer. Again, this is countdown now. It's a ticking clock. Okay. A. Farting aliens. B. Didn't age well. C. Toilet trouble. D. Vinegar does the same to me. Or E. We should get the Slovene to do Brexit. Just because vinegar isn't mentioned in this episode, I'm going to go with that option. Damn it, Dean. You saw right through me. That is indeed correct. And I thought I would use the vinegar because I thought you'd believe that there was a Doctor Who fan stupid enough to comment on I mean, the there is a Doctor Who fan stupid enough to comment on the vinegar. Part. It's just you. That hurt. That cut deep. I'm going to move on. The decision, Dean, the decision to have the Sabine and Faye Downing Street was inspired by the music video of which girl group? A. Girls Aloud. B. The Spice Girls. C. Atomic Kitten. D. The Pussycat Dolls. Or E. All Saints. Good, all Saints is a Girls Aloud. Final answer. Lock it in for a million pounds that Andrew will pay me. So I'm assuming this is a, a good guess. Do you know this? Are you confident? I just feel it in my heart. Okay. You feel Girls Aloud in your heart. Don't mm. don't we all? Well, Cheryl, Cheryl probably doesn't anymore because I'm pretty sure she fell out with a lot of them. But that's probably beside the point. And some Girls Aloud crossover Doctor Who fan is probably going to pick me up on my ill knowledge of Girls Aloud. But yes, it was it was Girls Aloud and Downing Street features in their video for their single Jump. I assume, is it the real Downing Street? I don't actually know. I would have to look that up. Do, do you think Girls Aloud got permission? Doctor Who barely did. This Downing was mostly Street? on a set, wasn't it? Yeah, this is And a I wouldn't rank Girls Aloud above replica. the government's priorities compared to um, dot two, but maybe I'm just a little biased. Biased, but hopefully correct, because I think that would be a huge hit to the show and the fandom if Girls Aloud were prioritised by the government over Doctor Who. I mean, the royals are meant to enjoy Doctor Yeah, Who. I googled Girls Aloud Downing Street and it's just pictures of them all as old people visiting there. <laughs> that's That's interesting. My final question to you is about the hospital. So Albion Hospital features in Aliens of London as the site for the alien corpse examination. Interestingly, it also features in a later story of Revival Who. Which one? Oh no. A. The Empty Child slash The Doctor Dances. B. Smith and Jones. C. The Shakespeare Code. D. The Eleventh Hour. Or E. The Power of Three. See, I feel like 
just the way shooting TV show works, if you're going to revisit a set or a, a location, you're going to revisit it in the same season. So that's why my answer is going to be The Doctor Dances slash The Empty Child. Disappointingly, you are correct. So basically, I spend my time trying to think of Doctor episodes that feature hospitals for no reason, and I will never get those moments of my life back. But all the same, trivia was fun. Well done. I think you were pretty 50-50 I think I got there. them all right. Don't listen back. Well, of course you would, but you're quite biased. Next section? I think, I think it's best. Our next section today is, of course, the time when Dean gets to reflect on the episode in question and give his own insight into it, his own summary, if you will, in our plot and setting section. So whenever Dean is ready, I will pass on the gauntlet of podcast responsibility to him. Are, are you ready, Dean? I am actually annoyed with myself. I just realised about 30 seconds ago that this section was coming up. I was ready to start talking about more general stuff about this episode, but alas, I will remember one week, and that is the week you will die. Okay. You ready for my plot? Well, I'm just thinking of all the things I need to do before I die. (laughs) And I'm not sure in the conditions right now, Disneyland will be something I'm able to carry out. So goodbye to that trip there. But yes, please. Anyway, here I'm talking about plot now, Andrew. You can zip it. Okay. And button it. And any other sort of closing contraption. I was about to start. Do you mind just not talking? Okay, I'll go. I'll go. I'll I'll speak really quietly. After a couple of gallivanting trips with um, the Doctor, Rose returns back to her home mere hours after she left, supposedly. And she goes, I'm going to go talk to my mum and runs up the stairs. Meanwhile, the doctor's walking around, but Rose is running up the stairs and the doctor sees the poster while Rose is running up the stairs. And the doctor looks shocked while Rose enters her house and she goes, mum. And then Jackie walks around the corner. She's like, Rose, is it really you? And she's like, what are you talking about? You thick idiot. Um, of course it's me and then the doctor runs in. I don't know how he got up the stairs so fast. It doesn't make much sense to me. And then he goes, um, Rose, it hasn't been 12 hours. It's actually been 12 months. And then Rose is like, oh my God. And then the music's like, and then after the credits, um, the policeman is there because obviously Rose was missing for 12 months. She has to talk to the policeman. And um, Rose is a bit like, oh, I was just traveling. And Jack was like, but your passport was here. Why can't you tell me where you were? And then the doctor's like, it's all chill it's fine and then she's like i'm not very happy and then rose is like okay i'll just go sit on the roof for a bit and they sit on the roof and rose is like wow i can't believe i'm the only person that knows about aliens ship crashes into big ben oh no everybody saw it what's going to happen unit shows up and closes down the area oh no the prime minister's gone missing oh no and then Harriet Jones, MP of Flydale North, enters Parliament and speaks to the new Prime Minister and goes, hey, can I talk to you? And he's like, no, shut up. And also, he's fat. And he goes upstairs with a fat woman. And then the general comes in and starts t- telling them off. I forgot to mention, Harriet Jones, MP of Flydale North, is hiding in the cupboard. And so is the dead Prime Minister. And different cupboards. And... um the Prime Minister gets out of his fat suit or someone else does and they're actually big green aliens and they kill the general and inf- and fill his body. Not good at all. 
And um, what happens next? Uh, meanwhile, the doctor's like, I don't know what's going on and I can't go and look, but I can go and look. Just don't tell Rose that. And he goes to the hospital where a body has been pulled from the ship, but it actually isn't an alien body. It's a pig that's been edited. And um, yeah, and he goes, oh, obviously someone's faked this crash, but why? And then Jackie sees the TARDIS and is all like, oh no, my poor little daughter, I'm going to phone the helpline to track down these aliens because that's what Andrew Marr told me to do. And then she phones the helpline and is all like, oi, um, oi, don't, I've, I'm a Dr. TARDIS, blue box, man, time travel. And then the machine is like, <laughs> and um then he's like we found the doctor the guy in number 10 oh who's the doctor oh he's just an expert okay go get him and they all step out of the tardis and jackie rose and the doctor get taken away to number 10 where they're being interviewed and the doctor goes into the room with all the other random experts we know nothing about and um, Rose goes, talks to um, Harriet Jones and Pia Flydale North. And Harriet Jones and Pia Flydale North is like, hey, do you know about aliens? Because actually the prime minister's an alien and the general's an alien and that Scottish woman or whoever she is, is an alien. And they killed this guy and took his body. And then Rose is like, that's so weird. I wonder what's in this cupboard. And she opens the cupboard and it's Tony Blair. He's dead. And then the doctor's like, hey, I know why we were all um taken here it was because it's a trap and they're going to kill all the experts and then the prime minister's like you are correct it is a trap and we will kill all the experts and then the id badges they were all wearing starts electrocuting them meanwhile there's a police officer at jackie's house and is about to kill jackie and also mickey was in this episode as well at the end that was a beautiful way of summarizing it although i feel Mickey was overlooked somewhat. I don't know why. It's almost like you have some bias towards him. He doesn't do much in this episode, does he? Just kind of sulks. But I'm sure you will have plenty more to say about that. Yeah, but for now, I think it's time we actually start talking about this episode in our next section. That would be a great idea. Let's go. In this section, Andrew and I like to go through our standout moments of the episode i would like to start with my very first standout moment and that is the opening that i did make light of in my plot summary it's actually quite chilling and a bit like oh what's going on and you feel bad for rose because you know the implications of this in her life yeah i would completely agree when the doctor spots that first poster stuck up not too far away from the tardis I think the music changes. It goes sort of... It kind of gets like like a horror version of the happy music that was already playing. I do enjoy it. And, and at that moment, you understand that something has gone terribly wrong. And as you said, the implications that the fact that Rose has been gone a year, not just 12 hours or a day, but the fact that Jackie has had to cope with her disappearance and not having Rose there as the only member of her family for an entire year. It's quite a traumatic event and you could argue that it's overlooked quite quickly in this episode, but the beginning is so, as you said, chilling and it just emphasises how this doctor in particular doesn't necessarily get everything right and isn't 
into the domestic side to the extent that when he realizes that it's too late he accepts it quite quickly he doesn't really this might be a bit harsh but he doesn't exactly apologize or i suppose there's not much blame attributed to him by rose either but he this is the result of the doctor being in someone's life things like this can happen he can get things wrong and your life will never be the same again if you're his chosen companion and the moment when you see all those posters on Jackie's desk I don't think this episode is particularly about Jackie despite this quite bold and emotional opening but as soon as you see the state of her flat how she drops the coffee or tea and it smashes on the floor you see her at her lowest at her weakest and at her most bemused and I feel so sorry for Jackie and in, in series two, when it's quite fairy tale like with the 10th Doctor and Rose being quite romantic and Jackie getting along and all that, it gets kind of forgotten that at some point she went through this pain. And I think that can be a weakness of this episode that it's been, as you said, quite overlooked. I feel like, hmm. I mean, spoiler alert, I do really enjoy this episode. I think it's definitely not one of the best episodes of the season, but I would say it's my second most fun episode. The most fun being World War Three, the season. I do like it, but just a lot of stuff in this episode is overlooked for the sake of all the fun they're having. <laughs> this just being one of the things. I would completely uh, build on what you said there. It is a fun episode. It's quite an indulgent episode, probably aimed at children. And I think that's where the Sardine in particular fall at the hands of the most hardcore Doctor Who fans, potentially the most loyal Doctor Who fans, who want to see Daleks and completely destructive evil villains and the return of the Master and things from the classic series coming back. And I feel like this would this episode would rub those kind of fans up the wrong way because it completely appeals to the younger audience and also people who maybe aren't as fanatical about the show. But I don't, as a fan, as a hardcore fan myself, I don't see that as a negative thing. This is a fun episode. You're meant to laugh. You're meant to sort of give in to your childish side. What's the point in growing up if you can't be a child sometimes? And this is a great episode for that. And arguably, I would say that it is one of the best episodes of the series. Maybe not this one, but definitely World War Three. Yeah, I do have one thing to say about the childish nature of this episode. See, that's why it appeals so much to you quite clearly, because you're the, you're the target audience, Dean. Wow. Wow. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, we'll talk about this later on. But another thing that I think is just completely overlooked is the fact that the prime minister is dead and so many people have been killed and they just don't care at, at the end of this two-parter. And it also marks sort of the beginning of Doctor Who straying from reality i know that it doesn't always keep to you know the truth and what we really have in in the real world but in doctor who there's a different prime minister only a little bit i mean it's pretty close in general about to what we have in the real world well i mean they reflect on our history in quite a truthful light except for the aliens i I know that my point is thin because of aliens to an extent we, we see you know the popular culture references and depictions of historical figures and they're accurate to an extent you know subtracting the elements of who you know the alien side the TARDIS all of that 
But I, I'd also say that I like the fact that they're so bold to kill the Prime Minister. We don't like Tony Blair, let's kill him. That's what I like about this episode, that Tony Blair's dead and that's not a joke. Well, you, it's never actually suggested one way or the other if it is Tony Blair or not, despite the fact that we know that they are at one point were intending to hire a, a, an impersonator of him. But for the rest of it, it's all very accurate about who's prime minister and who isn't, till this bit where it swerves off. And they and Harriet Jones, MP of Flydale North, mentions the babes. Exactly. So you've got all this, you know, this accuracy and the building up of the real world. And I like how Doctor Who decides to stray from that when you eventually, spoiler alert, get Harriet Jones as prime minister. It just adds an element to Doc to how even the modern world is different because often the, the modern setting because even the modern setting therefore feels different and fictional and exciting and there's something to intrigue us because we don't know that world completely because there's something different so I do like that yeah I get what you mean I get what you mean did you know here's a fun fact for you and I've certified it as fun stealing my section you son of a beep um so all from this point onwards, most episodes of Doctor Who that are set in the modern day are actually set a year after the year they were released. So if an episode was released in 2011 and it's supposed to be set in the modern day, it will actually be set in 2012, which I think is quite interesting. This started off that trend. That does my head in a bit, to be honest. It's a bit confusing to track. I mean, not really. Just add one year and then that's it. You know maths was never my strongest subject. Go on, I'll give you a number. You, you just need to add one. 2011. 2000 and... Oh, is it 12 or 13? Damn it. Anyway, what's your next standout moment? <laughs> yes, I feel we should move on. I love the quote... I'm the only person on planet Earth that knows they exist when Rose and the Doctor stood on the roof of the Powell Estate. And just at that moment when Rose is feeling superior to the rest of humanity, that is when a big spaceship with a little pig inside decides to go and crash into the Thames for, for all to see. It's very ironic and it's a good bit of comedy, so I did yeah. enjoy that. I'm going to say that line, I've seen this episode maybe more times than any other episode this season. And that line, for whatever reason, did stand out to me today. I was a bit, I just hadn't thought about it before and it did make me chuckle a bit. Just, it was such good comedic timing of um, that happened and then just a beat later, like there's a beat and then the ship comes and it sounded so sudden. You're like, oh, what is going on? And just how there's no build up to it. Normally in Doctor Who, if there's like dead people walking around, you get a bit, bit before the credits about um, a ghost killing someone, you know what I mean? Um, what is your next standout moment, please, Andrew? Please do enlighten me and our audience. Well, we've already alluded to this, but I particularly enjoy seeing the Earth's reaction ah, to yes. the spaceship crash landing. The the alien parties, the loud music, the drunks in the street, the news broadcasting. You get to see Trinity Wells for the first time, the American broadcaster. You also get to see Andrew Marr, who, fun fact, is actually my dad. I do love Andrew Marr. I'm still yet to meet him, considering, you know, he's my friend's dad, but I hear he's a lovely man. Yeah, definitely. 
I feel some listeners won't get the joke and will actually think that you're Dean Ma. I don't think people will. Um, <laughs> he is my dad. That wasn't a joke. He definitely is my dad. Like, you're wrong if you don't believe me. And we should really interview him and ask him about this. I love the idea of them going up to him and going, oh, do you want to be in Doctor Who? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he really brings his own... Like, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if he, they didn't script his lines and they just said, oh, just talk about the chairman of whoever arriving. And he's like, yeah, sure. And then he goes, this is the chairman of the sugar tax. Um, with the highest regard, I don't know why he's here. And I'm like, that's such an Andrew Marr moment. What a legend. My dad. Yeah, I can imagine he loved playing that role. He, he's very good at it, which is good because it's his job, obviously. But he does show up the actors who play other news presenters. I mean, I love Trinity Wells, though, the American broadcaster who we later see in many episodes to the point that it's almost a joke. Anytime there's an alien invasion or anything of a global scale in Doctor (laughs) Who from that point onwards, she's there. I imagine at the start of every year, she's just handed like a small book of scripts and she just sits through and bangs them out all in one day. And then the next year, she gets another like a half an hour of filming to do. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it were true? Do you have any more standout moments? I'd like to hope so, because this is quite a good episode. I mean, I have a question for you, which I didn't, I don't know if they mentioned it. I might have just been mishearing. But how come the chairman of the Parliamentary Commission on the Monitoring of Sugar Standards and Exported Confectionery became Prime Minister? Like, did I miss that? How was he the next in line? It makes no logical sense. Did, they must but in have a way, killed, that only makes this episode better. They must have killed like literally 70 MPs to make him the next in line. And I don't know if you've ever been to the House of Commons, but sure, you could I easily haven't. infect a fat man who's even higher up. There's always going to be a fat man in the top 10. When I say top, top 10, 10, I don't mean number 10. I like, mean like, like the top a singles 10. chart. At number 10, we have Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> he's, he's definitely not fat. Well, I feel like it's just a point of comedy in this episode, and we're just encouraged to accept it. So yeah. I have no real issue with it, except for the fact that it doesn't really make sense. But I've always assumed that the Sardine have just decided that that particular Sardine who happened to kill this man would be the best to lead them. And therefore, the other Sladeen have worked getting into Downing Street to make it so that he would be the default prime minister. If... Yeah, but I just don't, I don't, I think it, the bit that confuses me is from the actual writing perspective. Like, why would they choose for, why would Russell choose for him to be the next prime minister instead of saying, oh yeah, he just infected the, the, um, um, the deputy or whatever, instead of that, like, and you say it's for the comedy, but you get exactly the same moment in the next episode when all the Slovenes shows up. And they're like, oh, and this guy's head of the North Sea Boating Society or whatever it is. And I don't know why he's here. It's exactly the same joke. So you don't, doesn't even need repeating. That is true. But there's something charming about the way Andrew Marr introduces that man. So I'm not complaining. No, actually, I did. Because I had to write down his name of the chairman of the Parliamentary Commission on the Monitoring of Sugar Standards and Exported Confectionery, I did have to watch this bit about three or four times. And I enjoyed it every time. I'm glad. Do you have another standout moment? Oh, I have 
bucket loads of standout moments. Of course, Harriet Jones MP of Flydale North um, is a bucket has a bucket all to herself of standout moments <laughs> of just how charming and innocent she is. And I think you may disagree with this, but I think in between these two episodes and a Christmas invasion, she does have a shift in personality because in this one she just seems a bit like. I mean, no, maybe specifically in this episode, she doesn't seem completely with it and just seems a bit like um, like dottery, if you know what I mean. When in A New Earth, she's... I'm not not as a fault to her character, it's quite charming, but in A New Earth, she is on the ball and she is like ruthless and she is very clever. That's what I call character development. I think you're right. She's quite bumbly and endearing, like any old lady really in this episode and she takes on the sort of grandmother role for Rose in World War 3 later on and so you're encouraged to love her for that and she's forced down the deep end of the doctor's world and very quickly has to adapt and I've always seen it as the effect that the doctor and her brief adventure with him has had on Harriet the fact that she's so much stronger and willful in the Christmas invasion I would say that there are glimpses of that strength there already. She's very determined when it comes to the cottage hospices. The cottage hospital, just because her mum's in one. What happened to her mum? Don't mom? belittle her kindness. No, I'm not. I'm just saying what happened to her mum. And you know what? It is a bit duplicitous of her. I don't know why Russell would have chosen this to be her sticking point, where half the reason she's doing it is just to support her mother by the scenes. Of it. Well, I think it's actually... Not that she's doing it for her mother, but because her mother's in one herself, that she has seen how the system can be improved. I've always read it that way, because I want to think the best of Harriet Jones, who is arguably one of the best supporting characters in Revival Who, whereas you just like to see all the flaws, don't you? Because that just summarises our characters, doesn't it, Dean? Okay, the the next character we're going to talk about is Andrea, and I'm going to point out all of her flaws. Well, I have a wooden floor in my kitchen. And we have sort of brownie-orangey carpets. I don't really know what colour you'd call that. And everyone's bored already. So I'm going to go on to my next standout moment, which would have to be, it's quite a short moment, but it probably gave me the most joy in this entire episode. And you would, won't, won't like it, but... Is it, is it the farting? It isn't, because you would definitely like that. Oh, I just want to talk about the farting. Okay, you go first. We'll, we'll get fine. to that, don't worry, don't worry. But I would love the moment when Mickey runs at the TARDIS. And it fades away because for some reason he doesn't understand that that would happen, despite the fact that he's seen it dematerialize in in the episode Rose previously. And he just ends up running into the wall. The thing about that moment is a pretty stupid thing for Mickey to do because even if he did try to slow down and miss the, and even if the TARDIS didn't disappear at the pace he was going, and he still ran into that fence, he would have just ran into the TARDIS door and like hit, not been able to open it in time and just still hit a wall and fallen over, I think. But it's just so funny. That's what I like to think about. Okay, if we're talking about funny moments, do you want to hear my impression of a moment that actually made me laugh this episode? I'm not sure I do, but now you've opened it up, it's hard to resist. Have you got any guesses? Probably going to be something to do with nakedity or being green or farts or booties. I'll do my impression. You ready? Mm-hmm. I think. I am shaking my booty. 
Are you now? That's nice. So I also like the moment. No, I think when... we need to actually talk about this moment because it is a very important moment for me. Is it? Is it really? Is it just important to you? And if so, that's rather distressing. <laughs> Why are we at each other's throats so much this week? It's because I've got a microphone this week and it's given me some weird confidence boost. Like in the oh, IT no. crowd when Moss wears women's slacks and suddenly is a different person. Um random reference for you there go watch the it crowd it's a great program i'm just saying i like it because it's such a tense moment with all this and it's somehow still tense despite them all farting and laughing and hugging i am shaking my booty and just the sheer look of terror on general asquith's face really makes it for me and until it happens and i just think it's wonderful I'm sorry, but I think I'd have to disagree. Mostly because this line is actually in my improvement section. (laughs) And I just feel it's out of place and disconnected. And I know that they're meant to be funny. And they do have some very funny lines as villains. So I'm not saying that they're not funny and that they shouldn't be. But that, that line, for me, is rather out of place and too extreme. I feel like we can understand that they're meant to be down the, the the weaker and funnier end of villains as they go already. And it didn't add anything for me, except for perhaps the fact that Harriet Jones is watching this conversation <laughs> and is wondering what the hell is going on just as much as General Asquith is. So I, I don't hate it, but I, I don't I surely don't love it as much as you do. <laughs> Can we just jump back a bit? I do have a moment earlier in the episode where I noticed something weird and I researched it and I found the reason why. Okay. So when the spaceship hits Big Ben or Elizabeth's Tower... Thank you for correcting yourself. If you look carefully, the clock is the wrong way around, like in, in a mirror. Oh. And all the numbers are the wrong way around. And I looked into it. And apparently it's because during editing... Keith Boke said he wanted the spaceship to come in from the other direction, like come in from the other direction. So they just flipped the image when the spaceship hits it. So if you look, like you, d- you don't get a good look at it, but I was like, isn't that too backwards? And then I went on to the goofs section of IMDb and it said it there. Wow. How can I never have noticed this? Not very observational for someone who's meant to be taking notes for a podcast. <laughs> But I do love that moment, just just talking about that moment that you've brought up. But it's very typical of Doctor Who, especially the revival era. So you have in Rose, you have the London Eye, obviously a massive landmark, at the centre of the story. And yet again, you have Big Ben and Downing Street at the centre. And I know that some people think, oh, it's too ridiculous to think that these iconic places would really you know that it would always happen at these iconic places these bizarre alien things but it's just funny and i love it and i love how i love it when they go all out and down down the deep end and just throw everything at it this this episode at least has a reason for it happening at one of the biggest landmarks like the doctor does say it's too perfect exactly and i also like that we haven't really spoken about this yet but i like that twist on the story We've had plenty of alien invasions over time. Well, not in real life, obviously, but in Doctor Who. (laughs) We've had plenty of alien invasions. But this one's different because you have the illusion element. The fact that aliens have seen 
how invasions have been over time and have reconstructed one themselves. Well, it's not an invasion, but a crash landing and how therefore the invasion has been there a long time and it's not immediate and it's sly and sort of slinky. In a more um, dramatic episode of Doc 2, it could be a really like big twist like the aliens were among us all along. Be quite scary. Yeah, it kind of resembles how you find out about the silence having been underneath the earth for so long in, in the day of the moon, the second episode of series six. They could be so similar, the silence and the Slovene. They could, but they're not. I would like to just say my final two standout moments before we go on to characters. So I love that moment when Jackie decides to make the phone call and Dob on the doctor. She's obviously very overwhelmed by having seen the inside of the TARDIS. Yeah. And it's obviously trying to make sense of it all because from her point of view, he's just the man who's taken her daughter away from her for an entire year. <laughs> and obviously if I, I think that if any of us were in her position, we'd probably feel the same conflicting and confused and just bewildered and upset mixture of emotions at discovering that he's, you know, an alien that her daughter's somehow tangled up in his life. And it's a very human moment of weakness from Jackie. Obviously, she thinks that she's doing the right thing. So somehow she's, because we're obviously aligned with the doctor and want him to succeed, she's sort of the opponent, the opposition in this little scenario. But she's doing what she thinks right. And I love that moment, the cross-cutting between her on the phone in her bedroom and yeah. the the doctor search, if you like, on, on the on the computer. And when it goes red, when they type in TARDIS, I absolutely love that moment. Mm-hmm. It's so thrilling and tense. And you somehow see the doctor in a different light, like some almighty being that earth depend upon and he's in the myths and legends of this planet for many many years and his very name and the name of his little blue box can make such an impact and bring helicopters on him straight away (laughs) It's, it's very exciting and i feel like this episode because it's the precursor to world war three it has some quiet and slow paced moments but this is when it starts to pick up again after arguably a lull in the middle. One thing did annoy me about this conversation. It was just how it really didn't feel like how someone would answer a phone call. Do you want want to hear my impression of her answering the phone? Of course, I would 100% be up for that. Because it's not not at all an impression of anyone on the phone because she doesn't leave pauses or she just talks. Okay, here we go. Yes, I've seen one. I really have. An alien. And she's with him. My daughter, she's with him. And she's not safe. Oh my God, she's not safe. I've seen an alien and I know his name. He's called the Doctor. It's a box, a blue box. She called it a TARDIS. And then that's it. Why didn't you go for the role of Jackie Tyler? I know you would have been a bit young, but missed opportunity. Alas, I was too young and too male and too... um, Too. I was two at the time. I was too, too. (laughs) I was two at the time. That's a great joke. I'm proud of that. Um, I have one more standout moment. If we jump back, we missed it again. I enjoy how useless the Doctor is at the beginning of this. When um, Rose is like, oh, do you know what ship it was? And the Doctor's like, no. And she went, can we go see it? No. Oh, do you, do you recognise it all? Oh, no, I didn't. It's good stuff. I just like how he's just there watching and he's just as 
like interested as everyone else is. Yeah, we do see the Doctor from a different perspective in this episode. He's he's one of humanity in a respect. He's watching the events unfold in the same way, and that's very much emphasised by the fact that Rose suggests they go and watch it on the TV. And I love that moment when he's trying to get the little kid out of the way of the TV, and you see like Blue Peter. And he tells everyone to be quiet because he's watching TV. Exactly. And you see almost the human side and how he interacts with humans in their most common and stereotypical presentation, very much concentrating on gossip and TV and entertainment and booze when there's been such a historical day. And you do see humanity in quite a pathetic way like why aren't they paying more attention to it it's so typical of humans to see the smaller picture rather than the bigger picture but you do do see both the doctor's differences and similarity well predominantly his differences but you see how he tries to how he's one of them and also how much that frustrates him what i do enjoy about it is even though you don't get much coverage of this that um seemingly everyone in the u.s is like taking it so seriously and the pri- the president is having a speech on the white house's lawn and how solemn everyone is and it cuts to the uk and everyone's like party i think that's pretty accurate very accurate oh britain i would also like to say that other than everything with harriet jones as she's trying to snoop around and get her agenda heard and everything i, I love all of that i couldn't well, pinpoint who, it don't you mean Harriet jones mp of flydale north i do and yes i do know who that is but putting that aside my final stand-up moment would have to be the moment when the doctor realizes that it's a trap and all the experts are gathering around him i think the experts are pretty pathetic none of them contribute to the conversation they all look gullible Obviously, they had to rename UNIT because literally all of their members were killed. All of their high-ranking members were killed <laughs> when this happened. Just, yeah. That's another thing that's brushed over in the next episode, that so many high-level alien experts have just been killed and the Prime Minister's been killed. Then suddenly, just everything's back to normal. By Christmas. That is very much brushed over. But in Doctor Who, you've just got to move on. No, no turning back. You know? I mean, they have a time machine. That's kind of the whole point of the show. That moment when the Doctor realises it's a trap and you also see at the same time that Rose and Harriet and Indra, the secretary, are suddenly face-to-face with Margaret Blaine, obviously one of the Slitheens. And you also have that moment at the same time when Jackie's in danger because of the policeman and it's all rising, the pressure's mounting and they're all suddenly in lots of danger. And that sinister moment when the Doctor explaining how it's a trap and how what do aliens get when they put the world in red alert? They get us. And just behind him, he's got his back to them, the two Slitheen, the Prime Minister and General Asquith, are just so... They revel in the fact that he knows that they're being exposed. It just gives them joy. And that's, I think, when the Slitheen seem the most sinister... And I do like that side to them because whilst they are arguably very funny villains, they're also very sly and they've just created this massive facade which has fooled everyone. And in a way that's worse than just coming out with an invasion straight away. 
So I do love that moment. And obviously it's all left with a cliffhanger, a good old cliffhanger, when the Doctor and co seem in uncharted danger to the extent that you're like, how are they going to get out of it? So it's very strong. And then they show you straight after how they got out of it. That's true. I wish they didn't do that. It rather eliminates the point of the cliffhanger but i do i'm a sucker for a cliffhanger and i think this episode has a very good one fair enough um now we will go to our next section where we talk about the characters in this section andrew and i like to go through the characters one by one and we always start with the same character and this character goes by the name of doctor who doctor who is his name if you disagree with me please email us at chattywattypod at gmail.com um so what's your opinion on doctor who in this episode andrea but my opinion of the character the doctor is that i particularly like him in this episode there's nothing i'd really fault he's the perfect mixture of jovial and enigmatic not that he really hides anything in this episode but because we see him through the eyes of Jackie and the trauma that she's been through, his mysterious traits are highlighted again. And you have the great serious moment with the pig, which I realised we didn't mention earlier on. It's a really strong moment. And another fun fact, just to come on your turf even more, this is the <laughs> first scene Christopher Eccleston ever filmed as the Doctor as they filmed this two-parter and Rose all in one block. I think it's quite interesting. That is very interesting. I want to rewatch it now and see how he how he acts that scene in particular because that would have been his rawest version of the Doctor, arguably. Because it is also such a mix, the scene of him being so jovial and so like serious at the same time, like bossing around all the soldiers and like smiling and making jokes and then shifting to being like, Oh, why did you kill this poor innocent creature? And that's what I love about him in this episode. I criticised The Unquiet Dead for the fact that he yo-yoed emotionally too much and it was too inconsistent. He still yo-yos a lot in this episode. That's my new favourite phrase, yo-yos. It's just called changing mood, Andrew. Everyone does it. Like, Like a minute ago, I was quite happy, but now I'm annoyed with you. He's tearing up my contract, if anyone uh, wants to know what I can see currently, my podcast contract. You're getting none of the money I'm making from this podcast now. You're making money? Damn, <laughs> you've got it good. But I I feel like he his mood changes just as much as it does in The Unquiet Dead. But it happens at the right points, and so it doesn't jar with me. And therefore, it's just this episode becomes a good a good summary of his character as as a doctor and i i love moments say as you said the moment when he's so angry about the pig oh. I, also, I also love it as i've said when he is so frustrated with humanity and finds it too human in there for him and so whereas the 10th doctor and to an extent the 11th doctor really try to embrace humanity and see them for their positives and enjoy their culture and there are so many speeches about a lovely human life I, I never had that and I know actually those words are pretty much Eccleston's but except for in Father's Day you always get the impression that Eccleston's doctor feels obliged to save humanity apart from that one quite random scene 
that is a very random scene. And so you get that impression throughout the rest of the series that he seems to think he's above the rest of humanity and that we're quite menial and pathetic beings that are always getting into trouble that he has to solve. And I do like that. It's a different interpretation of the Doctor, a different view of humanity and a different kind of hero. And we get to see all of that in this episode. So this episode really, really works for me. How about you? Yeah, you basically said everything I was thinking. He's a great Doctor. I've said before, he's my second favourite. I just love him to bits as a man and as an actor. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to say. You, you did quite a good job. I'll, I'll say Thank some you. stuff about Rose, though. I think everyone's reaction, apart from in the opening bit to Rose being missing, is just a bit off. Just her being like, oh, um, I was just, you know, I can't tell you. The policeman's here, but I can't tell you. I'm fine, though, Mum. Don't. I get why she can't tell her and everything. It was just, it was just wasn't executed in the best way possible, especially how it's just quickly forgotten about how and she doesn't talk to Mickey or anything. And then we'll talk about this a bit later. It's the bit I actually annoyed me about Mickey perhaps the most was when okay, I'm going to save that bit for later. Okay, that's a bit of sizzle there for you. But it's an anti-Rose bit as well. It's just I don't think Rose does a lot in this episode. And what she does do is kind of in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking, oh yeah, but what about you've been disappeared for a year? That's a very interesting point because in this episode, Rose is on a different level to say Jackie and Mickey because they act with her as if she's been gone a year and have that worry and resentment and those mixed feelings towards her whereas she very innocently her feelings for them haven't changed because there hasn't been the time to because she's been only gone you know 12 hours or so and so you get this weird almost friction of emotions in scenes for example the scene in which Jackie is terrified why Rose can't say where she's been and Rose is just crying obviously it's a hard situation but the only way she could see to get out of it is to never say where she's been and to just cry whenever her mum starts getting upset yeah no I want to know what her plan is for the rest of her life if the rest of this stuff didn't happen, is she just going to go, oh, I just went for a year, bloody, just abroad, just not say anything for a year? Like, she's pretty dumb. Exactly. The fact that Jackie wanders into the TARDIS is a massive convenience for Rose in the long run. And obviously, Russell T. Davis would have been thinking of that when writing this episode. But my opinion on Rose this episode is that she's quite static. I don't feel there's much character development. There's obviously a development to the story around her because her mum finds out about the truth and the fact that she's travelling with the Doctor. So we get that kind of progression. But as a character, she's much the same as she was in The Unquiet Dead, I think. I wouldn't say that as a criticism. I just don't think she really stands out to me in this episode as much as the Doctor does. And I would argue that she's much stronger in World War Three, especially when she gets more scenes with Penelope Wilton um, as Harriet Jones. And Peter Fly Down Off. Okay, can I give my opinion on Mickey now? I've been itching all um, podcasts to do so. Yes, have you written an angry monologue about him as okay. you did last week? No, you know what? My point about Mickey this week is that he needs to think of himself as better because i might not like him but he needs to have some goddamn self-respect okay where he's back 
he's talking to Rose, hasn't seen her in a year, gone to prison for, no, been pulled in by the police four times. And and then he just goes to Rose, oh, so have you been missing me while you're gone? And then Rose goes, maybe. Have you got a girlfriend in the last year? And Mickey's like, nah, ah, girlfriend. Just like Mickey, get over her, move on. You're better than that, okay, mate? Just Just stop. And also, you're a bit of a dickhead. I don't like you. It's a very weird way to insult a character, saying they need more self-respect, but I admire that approach. My personal opinion of Mickey in this episode is that I, I sympathise with him, but I think that's generally how I feel towards him all series, whilst you want to get a photo of him and put, him on, put it on a dartboard. I can't throw darts, so... Oh, yeah, you've got two skinny arms, probably weak. <laughs> I say it as it is. But whilst I do sympathise with Mickey, there's also a part of me that doesn't really notice him in this episode. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Just this one moment annoyed me when he's all like, oh, Rose, do you want to start dating again? Even though I've been to prison four times and I don't even like your mum and nobody likes me. Oh, no, my life is so sad. Mickey, just shut up, okay? Just like to clarify, you don't actually think he went to prison, right? Because that is <laughs> I never... I didn't say prison again. <laughs> you know what I mean. He went to the police station. He did. Anyway, just talk about Mickey because I'm annoyed now, okay? I can tell your your pupils have turned red. You were nude. Anyway, so I think that he is way more important to the story in the second part. So in that respect, he doesn't really need to be there. I also think it's inconsistent that Rose doesn't think about even coming to visit him. I mean, maybe if she'd been gone 12 hours... Yeah, I think that's what annoys me a bit about the the Mickey thing of him going, ah, do you want to still get back together even after Rose got back and she didn't want to get, she didn't think I'll go and see him. Exactly. Because I think if it'd been the 12 hours, it's understandable that maybe she'd just want to hang around and focus on the alien crash landing. But she knows that she's been gone a year and doesn't think about the implications that would have had on Mickey at all. And I think whilst I'm a big fan of Rose's character, it's her mistreatment of Mickey that highlights the perhaps selfish side of her character. Yeah. And I would also say that Mickey does need, need some, some more self-respect. self-respect. <laughs> we said that almost in sync. That was, that was cool. But... The, be- the best thing about Mickey's character is the fact that we see him at this low of struggling to win Rose's loyalty back against the Doctor and always failing and making a fool of himself and always I'm being quite over-sentimental. And then him in Series 2 finally realising that that's a battle he can't win anymore and that he can be his own person. He doesn't have to be the tin dog and just the third wheel and he can save the world and he is worth respect and more love than Rose potentially ever shows him and so I feel you need him to be at this low and this sort of dependency on Rose and this emotional vulnerability to be shown for you to then appreciate his strength later. This is what they're trying to show, they never actually show him and Rose in any good relationship because in the first episode like the 
um, thoroughly annoyed me in our first episode when he goes, "Ah, oh, your work blew up and you're unemployed and you just went through a traumatic experience. Let's go watch some football. Like, like clearly he doesn't care about her that much then. And now he's all, oh, what a bit. That is true. But just to play devil's advocate and to pain you, you often say that the reason, well, not the reason, but you justify not liking Mickey by saying that he's a BTEC version of Rory, Rory Williams. But could it be said no, that we never no. really see, because Amy leaves Rory on the, on the eve of their wedding, <laughs> which is pretty bad, let's be honest. Yeah. And she goes away with the doctor, and the only thing that we've seen of her and Rory's relationship before that is him sort of wandering around after her and her wanting to see the doctor get uh, undressed in a hospital changing room. No, there doesn't seem to be any sort of loyalty or strong relationship no, there until then, later that's in the not series. The point. My point is Mickey's opinion towards Rose supposedly isn't very high. But you have, I think Rory has such an endearing nature because of his his want to be with Amy. Like of, The feelings aren't reciprocated, but Rory doesn't do any... But, bad thing against Amy in that entire episode and he's very nice to her throughout and he's so nice and kind and handsome uh, oh, I, I, I see what it's one. about it's about <laughs> Arthur Darville really isn't it you just don't you just don't see Noel Clark that way my point was right about you did you did argue your point very well until the end anyway I don't have I don't want to talk about Mickey anymore and I don't have much to say about Jackie so say what you've got to say about Jackie the summary of Mickey is basically that you hate him and I will never be able to change your mind on it. Maybe next season you'll be able to change my mind. Maybe. We'll have to wait and see. I'll be in the ground before I say season one Mickey is a nice person. Jackie Tyler. Go on. I don't have much to say about Jackie, so say what you've got to say. I feel she's, well, she's one of my favourite supporting characters. But in this episode, we see her in quite a different light. She's often the side piece that offers some comedy. Well, we see her in a different light for the first five minutes, and then she's back to her normal self. That is true. And the last five minutes. her distress at the end of the episode is very real as well. I suppose you have classic Jackie, sandwiched between distressed and emotionally wrecked Jackie. So I think... Whilst we never really have sympathy, I don't think we really think about the fact that Rose has left her mum behind because she's not really present in Rose in the way that she is this two-parter. But now we see the implications that Rose's absence has on Jackie. And as a consequence of that, you see her as a more in-depth character. I think she's quite 2D in Rose, but this gives her another dimension. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. She's better in the next episode, I'd say that much. I've said Mm. everything I want to say about Harriet Jones when we were just talking about her. Have you got anything to add? I love Harriet Jones. And and, I don't know. Yes, and I wish she didn't die in The Stolen Earth. Well, there's a character we can agree on. I love Harriet Jones. And I think we've done a pretty good job on talking about the Slovene. Funny. We love the shaking booty moment. We both agree. I'm not um, sure we did. If anything, we want more of that in the next episode. So fingers crossed we do. Who knows? We definitely do. And I think they work in this episode for the lighter nature and somehow being sinister and farting a lot. 100%. And of course, we will 
obviously be talking about them next episode because they stay around for another part. Isn't Woo. that great? Okay, so you ready for our next section? I think I am. Are you talking about the most pretentious section, section of the podcast? Of the podcast? Yes, yes, I am. Oh. In this section, screenwriter Andrea, better than Russell T. Davis, she believes, is going to tell us how she would improve this episode if she was writing it. And I'm also going to say that I don't think I'm better than Russell T. Davis, and he's my childhood hero, and he's fantastic, and I love that man. Just tell me that before we start. And I'm not a screenwriter. Anyway, thank you for the compliment. Anyway, what's your first improvement, screenwriter Andrea? So, I think it's unrealistic that the unit soldiers would just follow the doctor after he waltzes in there, turns up in a blue box, and they all, you know, aim their guns at him. I think it's unrealistic that he just has to seem confident, have a bit of suave, cool leather jacket, claps his hands, shouts some Delta thing, and they all just think, oh yes, he is our leader. They show no individuality or intelligence And although it's convenient for the story, when I was analysing it, it's never bothered me before, but analysing it, it jars with me in terms of logic. I really like that moment, though, because it's such a doctor thing to do. He just walks into a room and he's in charge. He's done that so many times. I mean, not in as extreme stakes that I remember everyone pointing guns at him, but the doctor is the best at walking into a room and just telling random people what to do and them going, okay, yes, sir. That is true, and I love that moment when the Doctor assumes that he's better than all the experts later in this episode. But whilst I'm not challenging the fact that he feels confident enough to do it, that's a very Doctor thing to do. I wish there was some expression on the unit soldiers' faces or some delay that makes them think, maybe, hang on a second, this guy, is is he our leader? Do we have to do as he says? And then they sort of just go along with it because they're won over by his confident facade. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair enough. Next improvement. So we've only really touched upon this a little bit, the pig section in which the alien from the crash site is examined and then it's presumed dead and then it's not dead and then it is dead. <laughs> that, that whole section, it's valid for the storyline, but I think its tone is rather dark. And though I like how this exposes the Doctor's most angry side, I am wondering, does it really fit with the Slovene and their tone? But I don't think you get much of the Slovene's absolute crazy tone until the next episode, so I don't think it stands out particularly. I'm just being very advocate-y today. You are. I, I, don't, I don't like it. My next improvement, which I think you will majorly disagree with, is that I believe... We're going to skip over the... this one if it's about shaking booties, okay? It's not. That's actually oh, okay. the next one. But I think there's maybe too much farting. What the bloody hell do you think you're talking about? Okay, I'm... My second backup contract has just been torn. Um, (laughs) I really like the scene where they're farting loads and she goes, I am shaking my booty just because it's like... We've already established this. (laughs) Because like you don't know they're aliens. You know they're evil. Like It's clearly signpost. You know they're not good guys. And they're like pretty threatening as a whole just by the way they're talking and the things they're saying and then they just start farting and then it's like what and then 
And then it cuts to Harriet Jones MP of Flydale North, who is clearly horrified by this all. And they're still farting and laughing. And then they brutally kill this guy. I think I do enjoy it. I think it just works in the campest, dumbest way possible. That, that is fair enough. But my, my personal opinion is that I would clip a fart out here and there. And that's not a sentence I thought I'd be saying today. And so I'm going to skip my next improvement because you're just going to say, no, Andrea, you're stupid. Because no, I get why you think this opinion. Her booty. I mean, it is a bit out of... I, I laughed because it's just so ridiculous. Like, I think it steps over the line a bit, but that's whether stepping over the line is a good thing or a bad thing. It reminds me a bit of the line in Boomtown when Margaret Blaine returns, where she says... Dinner in bondage. Exactly, dinner and bondage. It just they jar with me. Not not in Doctor Who. It's it's not for the Doctor Who workplace, you know. I mean, but, shake. I think they're different levels of inappropriate, though. Shaking booty, and dinner and bondage. So my next improvement would be that the skin suit isn't entirely convincing. I just fix it. Just make it look a bit better. Fix Maybe it. some blood on the inside of the head. Mm. Maybe some brain spilling out. Mm. No, not 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 for the faint-hearted. No, sure. He's That's collapsed. Not a fine improvement. <laughs> Any more? Any more? For so anyone? I'm just going to summarise my last few. So I feel like the music in this one, whilst it's strong in places, I don't feel it's aged very well. And it, yeah, I, get I found it overpowered some scenes. It was randomly loud, like an imbalance of the sounds. So I found it a bit distracting at points. And I'd also say that the episode until basically from the crash. And until Jackie phones unit or whoever is on the other end of the phone, I feel like there's a lull in pace and action there. And you, you can allow for that in two parters, which I think was the issue with the Unquiet Dead, because it's just one part and it felt too slow. But with this, it's okay because you have, you know, the most action in World War Three. But as a standalone episode, it doesn't work quite as well pace wise for me. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Hmm. And I would also say that the experts, as I've already said, are very naff and just hire better extras. Make them look a bit more intellectual. Get them to rub their chin or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's go on to our final section of our lovely little podcast where we talk about Doctor Who every week. Okay, this is the section where we give our final rating on the episode. And to explain this rating system, I'm just going to do it quickly. I do this every week. We rate it on a scale of 1 to 13, um, 1 being the worst, 13 being the best, because there are 13 Doctors, but we are no way implying that the first Doctor is the worst and the 13th Doctor is the best or whatever else. Um, you can give one decimal place as a mark, and that's an 8.5, a.k.a. a war Doctor. Okay, what have you rated this episode? I did, in fact, give it an 8.5, a war doctor. I deducted points for a slow pace, too much immaturity, an imbalance of action and dialogue. The pigs section, I felt, confused the tone, and I sometimes felt the music overpowered scenes, which is a rare criticism of Murray Gold, and so I deducted half a point for that one. Taking me to 8.5, what did you give it? I gave it an 8.5 because I love so much of this Levine farts. I, I need to talk to them about farts, but it's a genuinely fun episode. You have such a good time watching it, and I think within the season, even though it's not the best episode, if I had to rewatch any episode just for fun, this the, this two-parter would probably be it. 
I would have to agree with that. Because I think both episodes encapsulate like the the tone and the mood and of the entire season, I think, pretty well, with the serious moments and the fun moments and whatever else. Well, I guess that takes us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you very much for listening, if in fact you have. And thank you, Dean, for listening to me and my (laughs) wonderful new microphone. Obviously, we are on social media, so please do follow us on Instagram at chattywattypod. And we're also on Anchor FM, obviously, so please follow us at chattywatty. And we do have an email, so if you ever have any questions or suggestions for any future discussions, obviously, um, relating to Doctor Who, then please do email us at chattywattypod at gmail.com. And please do feel free to give us a five-star rating and a review. You can write whatever you like in the review, but as long as the stars show that we're yeah. a great podcast, we don't care. If Yeah, if, if we're not going to read it if it's lower than five stars. So there's no point writing us any mean messages unless it's accompanied with five stars because that's the only way it's going to get to us and really upset us. Okay. I'd just like to thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week when we talk about World War Three. Bye.